This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulated and their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash Purple Rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. OutSchool.com slash Purple Rocket, code Purple Rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Winnie and the Pixie Knots. Episode 3 Them. I couldn't focus worth beans the next day at school. All I could think about was the fair and what Graham had said about whoever it was I wasn't supposed to see. What if, what if it's my parents, I thought. Maybe they were deadbeat carnival workers that ran the dunk tank. Even if they were, it wouldn't bother me none. 
Heck, I wouldn't care if they were jewel thieves so long as I got to actually meet them. Psst, came a voice that interrupted my train of thought. I looked up and saw Luke a few desks in front of me. Did you hear what I said? He asked. I totally didn't, but nodded anyway. To be honest, most of the time I didn't know what he was saying because just looking at him threw me into a brainless stupor. Luke was by far the best looking boy in the fourth grade, knocking Kyle Hobbs into second place as soon as he moved into our school district. He had perfect blonde hair that flowed to the sides like the golden waves from his home state of California. At least, I think he was from California, or some tropical island where beautiful people come from. It didn't matter. The bottom line was, he was talking to me, and I was staring at him like a moron. Winnie, he repeated. Are you going to the fair tonight? My beautiful person translator finally kicked in, and I understood. Yes, I told him. But she's going with me, Jack whispered from out of nowhere. Jack stared Luke down from a few desks away, like a boxer prepping for a fight. But his huge magnified eyes failed to look even remotely menacing. Nobody asked you, Jackwad, Luke said in a harsh whisper. Only it didn't sound harsh. To me, it sounded like angelic music, like everything else that came out of his mouth. Maybe he was a singer in a band, or a soloist in a choir. Where am I? Jack looked down at his desk in defeat. Luke turned his attention back to me. So? Yeah, I'll be there. Miss May! Came a screechy voice from the front of the room. Mrs. Tinsley tilted her skinny head in my direction. I wondered how a human brain could fit into such a narrow space. What is the answer to the question? I blanked. Five? I answered, saying the first thing that popped into my head. Mrs. Tinsley pulled her glasses from the nose that was barely skinnier than her face and looked at me. The capital of New York is five? Dang, I was banking on it being a math question. The class snickered all around me, and I wanted to punch them all in the nose, except for Luke, of course. His laugh was as smooth as a Frank Sinatra song and I wouldn't dream of harming that perfectly sculpted nose. Shut up, Jack shouted in my defense. Mrs. Tinsley put her glasses back on. Stop talking and start listening. Now, she looked at the whole class. It was in the city of Albany, New York, that our county fair originated. Does anyone know why it was brought to Greenwood? Anyone? No, didn't think so. Mrs. Tinsley had a way of making all of us feel really stupid. Even when we got the answers right, she'd find a way to make it sound like we'd missed something. The fair, she continued, was brought here because Greenwood has lots of cheap land and lots of gullible people. People who'll pay anything for mindless entertainment and trickery. It all starts with an innocent game of ring toss and ends with your husband blowing your entire paycheck on ticket games just to win a stupid stuffed Looney Tune that won't even fit in the closet. And pretty soon, that stuffed animal is taking your place in bed and you are left with nothing but a few leftover fare tickets to your name and a bunch of snotty-nosed kids to wake up to. Mrs. Tinsley had worked herself into a tizzy. She composed herself and pulled her tossed hair out of her face but the rage returned as she raised her finger at us and said, Don't 
any of you go within a hundred feet of that diabolical celebration if you care one inkling for your soul. We all stared at her, dumbfounded as she fixed her glasses that lay crooked on her nose from all the emotion. Have I made myself clear? Everyone nodded. I folded my arms and slouched back into my chair. Even Mrs. Tinsley was going to try to talk us out of going to the fair. But I'd heard enough. No grounding, snakebite, or fire-breathing sermon was going to stop me from going to that fair. Especially not now that Luke was going. I imagined us on the Ferris wheel together, laughing and throwing popcorn at each other. The fantasy ended as I thought of how disgusting it would be to have butter all over my face and hair. Oh, but it'd be worth it. That evening, just as the sun was setting and Graham was settling in to read her book, I snuck out of the house and ran to meet Jack by the mailbox. I had to shut him up from making a bunch of pointless bird noises. It wasn't part of the plan, and he sounded like a doofus. Jack looked me over suspiciously. Why's your hair all done up? And is that perfume? What you yapping about? I'm here, aren't I? Come on, let's go before somebody hears us. Where do you think you're going? Lou said from the driveway. She leaned against a birdhouse post by her fairy garden with a half-eaten pickle in her hand. She pretended to look at her nails as she waited for a response. Beat it, Lou. Nah, if you don't want me to tell, you'll have to bring me with you. She humped and took a loud, crunchy bite out of her pickle. Obviously, we took her with us. We had no choice. I was already cutting it close when I had convinced Graham that I had to work on a homework project for the rest of the evening in my room. It wasn't every day I could sneak one past her. The three of us made it to the end of town where a cloud of light hovered above the trees. Following the sounds of laughter and carnival music, we walked down the dirt road into the trees until they parted and we were standing in front of the fair entrance. Man, oh man, was it amazing. Even better than I imagined it. The metal arching fence read, Welcome to the Greenwood County Fair. Moss and vines were starting to grow between the words. I tell you, green grows on everything in this town. The lady at the ticket booth looked at me with a stink eye. Can I help you? She said. Great. That wasn't the question I was hoping for. She was supposed to ask, how many? I glanced over my shoulders at both Lou and Jack and realized there wasn't an adult within five feet of us. I had to think quick. Mom? Mom? I called to the bushes. Confused, the ticket lady leaned out her window and looked at the empty shrubbery. Mom, are you done puking yet? We want to go in. The ticket lady looked disgusted. I looked back at her and shook my head. Sorry, she's been upchucking all day. I don't know what's wrong with her. Riverbuck, maybe. Here, I'll go get her. <laughs> the ticket lady reached out to stop me and bonked her head against the glass. J -j Just pay for her ticket and then go get her. She glanced nervously at the bushes. If you say so. I paid for four tickets, which cost me a few months' worth of allowance. I wasn't too jazzed about having to pay for my fake mom's ticket, but it was a small price to pay for an unforgettable night. Jack asked me to spot him his ticket, which came as no surprise. He always forgot his money. 
The second we walked through the gates, the smell of corn dogs and funnel cakes filled the air. A magician to my left shot cards out of sleeves at an audience. Bright glowing bulbs lined the tracks of a rickety old roller coaster up ahead. A man in what looked like a onesie pajama juggled turkey legs. Had I died and gone to heaven? The only thing missing from this paradise was its prince, Luke. I looked down every path to see if I could find his golden locks. Nothing. What are you waiting for? Jack asked. Have you seen Luke? Who cares about Luke? Let's go on the brain twister. I glanced at the ride that looked like it would do exactly what it advertised. Scramble your brains. No thanks, I said. Where's Lou? I looked over my shoulder in a panic. Jack whirled around so fast he nearly sent his glasses flying. Lou? I called. Louise! I bolted back towards the front entrance. It had been all but 30 seconds and I'd already lost her. Lou! I cried, spinning in circles. A playful laugh calmed my frenzy. It came from a small pen by the deep-fried Twinkie stand. There was Lou, giving the biggest pig I'd ever seen a bear hug. The dirty animal oinked with delight and was giving her wet kisses with its muddy snout. I love you, Lou declared, wrapping her arms around his neck. Gross! Lou, get away from that thing! I ran over and pulled her off, but not before she could give it a big kiss on the nose. She yanked herself loose. What's the big idea? Grandma's gonna smell pig on you, bonehead. She'll know where we've been. Yeah, well, she's gonna smell fair food on you, fatty. Uh-oh, she was right. I already smelled deep fried and I hadn't eaten anything yet. I had to do something to get rid of it. Two minutes later, I had a bacon-wrapped turkey leg in my right hand and a deep-fried apple dumpling on a stick in the other. I'd given up trying to figure out how to cover up the smell, so I just embraced it. Man, that dumpling delight was something else. A peeled apple dipped in caramel, then batter, deep-fried a few times and topped with cinnamon sugar. If I were going to be grounded for the rest of my life, this would have been worth it right here. Winnie? I turned to see Luke standing there with a girl under each arm, Smelly Shelly and Chelsea Schmelsey. I hadn't thought of a catchy nickname for her yet. Hey, was all I could say. I quickly realized there was more dumpling on my face than actual face. Beat red, I frantically tried to wipe it off. I'd been waiting for this moment. I was wearing my best yellow dress and had actually spent time doing my hair, which I hated. Typically, I go with just the classic ponytail, but Luke didn't seem like the ponytail type. So, I made it lay down in waves, like his, hoping he'd notice. Want to ride the Ferris wheel with us? He said. I was shocked. Sure, I managed to say. Jack elbowed me. I thought we were going to try to find you-know-who, he mumbled. We can do that later, I said in a loud whisper out of the side of my mouth. We started to follow Luke, but he stopped. Oh, he said. I only have enough tickets to bring you, Winnie. I looked at Jack, who was avoiding my face. I could tell he was mad and embarrassed. Then there was Lou. She just stared Luke down like she was going to tackle him. I'd rather eat a shoe than ride with you. She looked at Shelley and Chelsea. Why would you put your heads in his stinky pits? 
Shelly and Chelsea swiveled their heads and realized that indeed they were right under Luke's armpits. Luke laughed. It's called deodorant. He tossed his perfect hair. Come on, Winnie. Let's get there before the line gets too long. I looked at Lou and Jack. I'll be right back, okay? It'll only take a minute. <sighs> Whatever, Jack grumbled, still avoiding eye contact. I left them and followed Luke through the crowd to the Ferris wheel. When we finally got on the ride, Luke really seemed to open up. We had a great conversation where he did all of the talking and I just stared. My dad used to own a fair, but he got sick of it. Too boring, Luke told us. Now he owns like a hundred theme parks. You know, big ones like in Ohio and all over the place. Every Friday, we have a family dinner on a roller coaster. It can be hard to keep it all down, but it's pretty sweet. Sometimes I can even bring a friend. It was a dream come true. Sitting here on top of the world, listening to the love of my life, talk about himself. I was so mesmerized by the whole experience that by the time the ride was over, I finally realized how long I'd been gone. Shoot! Jack and Lou! Sorry, I have to go, I said, turning to make a run for it. Before Luke could object, I was halfway across the fair. I skidded to a stop at the meeting place we'd agreed on. They were nowhere to be found. Lou! Jack! I called. I believe they left, came a voice from the booth next to me. Out walked a man wearing a light brown leather jacket, a dirty cowboy hat, and snake boots. His pointy beard and long ponytail were dark with traces of gray. In one hand, he held an old wooden cane with a silver handle, which was strange because he walked just fine. Are you looking for the boy in dirty overalls and the little girl with a scowl and duck hair? He asked. Yes! They left about 15 minutes ago. The boy said if I saw you to let you know he'd taken your sister home. He looked pretty down in the mud, if you know what I mean. I looked at the ground. Yeah. The man smiled with his bushy eyebrows. This your first time at the fair? I nodded. Figured, since you have a sizable piece of dumpling delight in your hair. He pointed to it with his cane hand. You see, the trick is to pull it back. He turned his head and showed me his long, silvery, streaked ponytail. It's easier to hide the evidence. I half smiled. I normally charge guests to see behind these curtains, but for someone who needs a little cheering up, I'll let you take a peek for free. I looked up at the sign above the man's little wooden booth. Night's Mysteries. Hmm, creepy. Sorry, I don't take candy from strangers, I said, backing away. It's a good thing I don't have any candy then. And even if I did, I wouldn't share it with the likes of you. Giving someone a cut of your candy is a big step in a relationship. I'm merely inviting you to look behind a curtain where you will be clearly visible to the public. Then again, why would you want to know the mysteries of the world or discover the fair's secret people? Wouldn't want to put you to sleep. Good evening, little lady. He touched the tip of his dusty hat and turned to leave. Wait! I grabbed his leather jacket. Secret people? 
the most secret in all the world. Okay, I'm in. The man smiled. Dr. Theodore Knight, but you can call me Theo. He reached out his hand and I shook it. Winnie May, pleased to meet you. Right this way, Miss Winnie. He motioned to his little booth with his wooden cane. I walked up the creaky steps until I reached the open booth with two curtains. Just as he'd said, everyone that walked by could see me, but no one could see the curtains. They were hidden around a corner so only he and I could see. He probably designed it that way so people walking by could watch the reactions of those that paid the price. And oh, what a price. A little slot under each curtain said one dollar. Are you kidding me? Only I didn't think it. I said it out loud, accidentally. What? Theo asked, coming to my side. Seems a bit much to look behind a curtain. A man has to make a living, doesn't he? Besides, the first step to true discovery is sacrifice. You have to really want it if you're going to believe. Yeah, but aren't you a doctor? No, but call myself one adds a considerable amount of credibility to what I say. I cocked an eyebrow. He shrugged. I got you this far, didn't I? Well, he had me there. Now, he continued with his presentation, Behind this curtain is a creature so foul, so evil, that hell itself spat it back out. His cane waved all over as he spoke. Only a few years ago, dozens of prized goats went missing from the fair. Most think they were stolen by desperate farmers trying to get ahead, when in fact it was the cursed beast behind this cloth. Pretty soon, it got tired of goat and craved a new kind of flesh. Humans. What? I interrupted. His story was starting to sound even hokier than my grandma's tales. Theo continued without skipping a beat. Remember the disappearance of Mayor Barton a few months ago? I nodded. No one knew where he'd gone. One minute he's in his office, and the next, poof, vanished. Right out of thin air. What nobody realizes is that Mayor Barton, what's left of him anyway, lies this very day in the belly of the beast. I present to you. He grabbed onto a rope next to the first curtain. The Chupacabra! With a hard yank, the curtain sprang open, revealing the most hideous thing I'd ever seen. Hideously assembled, that is. What looked like an oversized pink plastic dog lay on its side, covered with random strands of long black hair that looked glued to its sides. And the best part of all was the totally fake human hand sticking out of its open mouth. I could have made something better with paper mache. I laughed. Thea looked surprised. You don't believe me? Seriously, look at it. My Barbies looked more real than that. Theo wasn't offended in the slightest, as if he was used to this kind of reaction. Very well, he said. I thank you for your time. He motioned with his cane to the steps. Hold on, aren't you going to show me what's behind that one? I pointed to the second curtain. What for? You won't believe me anyway. Yeah, but I want to get my free admissions worth. Theo was hoping I'd say that. He smiled and stepped next to the second curtain. 
What I'm about to show you is an artifact more rare than the Earth's most precious stones. Myth and mystery have enshrouded its existence for thousands of years. Its truth clouded by children's storybooks. I present to you... Theo gently pulled at the rope, parting the curtain. Proof of the fairy underworld. I took a step closer to the brightly lit glass box. Inside, on a little red pillow, was a pair of translucent wings. Their intertwining veins formed immaculate designs that swirled through the glittering texture. All of a sudden, the urge to laugh was gone and instead was replaced by a sense of wonder. I was entranced by their beauty, whether they were man-made or not. The two pinky-sized wings practically glowed in their case. No two pairs of wings are the same, Theo explained. Each is unique to its owner. I tilted my head and caught them in a new light, making their shimmer change from purple to turquoise. Ah, I see you're a hoper, Theo said with a twinkle in his eye. I didn't dare break my gaze. A hoper? One who has the potential to be a believer. I looked at him. Where did you find these? Theo led me to the front of his booth and pointed with his cane across the fairground. You see that carousel? Towards the edge of the fair was the most beautiful carousel I'd ever seen. Its shining horses danced up and down against a wall of lights and mirrors. I slowly nodded when I saw it. Theo continued, I found those wings by its base beneath an orchid flower. I call it the fairy underground because it is my theory that there is an active colony somewhere under that carousel powering it. Powering it? Oh, yes. You see, that carousel hasn't been plugged into the grid in over 50 years. And yet, it turns and glows as brilliantly as ever. Come to think of it, tonight is the brightest I've seen it. Every part of it, except for that glass ball in the steeple. Sure enough, at the top of the carousel's steeple was an empty glass ball. So you're saying that it's powered by... Fairies? I couldn't believe what I was hearing. If you don't believe me, you can go take a look for yourself. Head over and check the box at the far end. That's where it should be plugged in. What was I waiting for? I started down the steps, but Theo stopped me. I have trusted you with very delicate information, Miss Winnie. His face grew serious. That wasn't part of my normal routine. If you are going to investigate for yourself, you must speak nothing of it. Are we clear? How come? Theo looked over my shoulder and nodded. That man over by the ring toss? I turned and saw a short fat man with curly hair and a big poofy fur coat. He looked like a talking teddy bear as he waddled from one game to the next. I watched him sneak up to an arcade and pocket a little girl's tickets as they came out of the machine while she wasn't looking. What about him? I said. That's Rudolf Tuskenheimer, the fair's owner. He's as greedy as he is fat. If he found out there were fairies anywhere in his fair, he'd turn them into a freak show and make a fortune. Doesn't he know it isn't plugged in? 
Sure, but he doesn't ask why something's working so long as it's making him money. Besides, he's probably too afraid to look into it. He's superstitious and attributes anything his tiny mind can't comprehend to conspiracy. Just keep your distance and you'll be fine. Got it, I said, and I headed down the steps. Say, where are your parents? Theo called after me. They're picking me up later, I shouted back. I ran as fast as I could to the box behind the carousel before he could ask any more questions. The area was a bit more dark as it backed up to the dense forest. Didn't matter. I was too curious and excited to be spooked. I checked to make sure the worker wasn't looking, and then using a nearby stick, I pried open the metal box. Inside was a tangled web of wires, all dangling loosely and connecting to nothing. The biggest one in the middle lay unattached in the bottom of the box. My heart leapt up into my throat. The crazy ponytailed man was right! Heart pounding, I quickly started circling the carousel, looking for some kind of hole or little door or, I don't know, whatever fairies would use as an entrance. Man, I wish Lou was here right now. She'd know, I thought. Lou! Oh, man, I totally forgot. She was probably home telling Graham how stupid I'd been. Thinking of how dead I was, I gave up my search and headed for the fair's exit. But just as I walked by the carousel, it glowed brighter. Like, noticeably brighter. Enough to make me jump when the bulbs flashed like floodlights. The worker next to me shielded his eyes and looked at the shining machine. It took him a second to finally notice me. That was weird. You want a ride? He asked. Now might be your last chance. Looks like this thing's gonna burn out. Thanks, but I only have two tickets left. The ride cost four. No worries. I'm quitting tomorrow anyway. Hop on. I knew I should leave, but wasting 50 cents worth of tickets is just an outright crime. You could buy a day's worth of gum with that kind of money. So I agreed and hopped on the white stallion, the prettiest of all the horses. I looked around. I had the ride all to myself. The board worker flipped the switch and the horses started turning. The guy wasn't kidding. The carousel was glowing a little brighter with every turn. At one point, I almost stepped off because I thought it'd explode. But it was at that very moment that I noticed something. One of the mirrors at the center of the ride was split along its edge. An inviting soft glow shone through the gap. I waited for my horse to be out of view of the worker and hopped off to examine it. I don't typically make a habit of vandalizing public property, but I couldn't help myself. I pulled at the open edge of the tall mirror and it opened slightly like a door. I ducked behind a carriage as I passed the worker. Luckily, he was too busy singing to himself and drumming on his chest to notice. Without wasting another second, I pulled the mirror open and stepped inside. I didn't know what exactly I was expecting once I got in, but this wasn't it. It was as if I'd stepped into a hollowed-out tree trunk full of warm light rising up from below. Down by my feet was a tunnel dug into the ground. Outside, I could hear the muffled music of the carousel playing over the speakers, and then I heard some grunts and mumbles. What the? Kid? Kid? I heard the worker call. The poor guy was probably confused out of his mind looking for me. 
I stared at the narrow hole at my feet. It was barely big enough to fit a small dog or a fat cat. It would be a tight squeeze. That wasn't going to stop me, though. I'd come too far to turn back now. I got on my hands and knees and started to crawl into the small opening. Dirt, rocks, and roots pulled at my long hair as I crept deeper and deeper. Every turn I made, the tunnel grew brighter and wider, which was a miracle because I was starting to panic a little. The tunnel continued to slope down until it suddenly opened up to a room that made my jaw drop. There in front of me was a large dome, maybe 20 feet high and made of dirt, wood, and roots. But that wasn't why I was staring like a brainless zombie. Filling the dome like floating, flickering candles were... were fairies. Hundreds and hundreds of them, each no bigger than a finger and glowing from head to toe. Their brilliant golden clothes reflected their shimmering skin. As I looked closer, I could see crystal lace lining the female's gowns and ruby-red jewels decorating the male's armor. They flew from one hole in the dome to another, landing on balconies made of twigs, speaking with faint but clear voices. As they glided through the air, a trail of gold dust curled behind them. Some bathed in a little stream that led to a beautiful waterfall cascading from the top of the dome wall. Water surrounding them sparkled like liquid gold as they splashed around. Theo and Graham were right. They were real. And I had found them. You've been listening to Winnie and the Pixie Knots, a production of the Purple Rocket Podcast. If you've enjoyed this story, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast to never miss an episode. And to support the show, visit purplerocketpodcast.com store to purchase read-along paperback books or to make a donation. Thank you, Rocketeers, for tuning in. This is your host, Greg Webb.